0: Informative, educational, objective,
1: inclusive, comprehensive. This is Progress Report. Updates and conversations from the Government Information Service.
2: and welcome to another episode of Progress Report. My name is Ivan Connor. This is my lovely co-host, Gleniva Hodge. And we're back for part two of this very interesting update and conversation from the Government Information Service with the Honorable Minister of Home Affairs, Mr. Kenneth Hodge. Welcome back. Pleasure being back
0: here again. Let's <laughs> <laughs> <And> just continue. <laughs> <laughs> the first hour of by. i brought lots of papers. Hey, yeah, we're going to get into some <laughs> that stuff. We're definitely going to get but into it. But it was tremendously interesting.
2: Uh, yeah, it was a great, great conversation. Let's, let's pick back up right where we left off. Um, we were mm-hmm. touching on labor, we were touching on immigration, we were touching on growing our population. I think we ended off on setting a minimum wage, and the role of labor and the establishment of unions. Right. Because I I, I I made reference that, you know, those things kind of undergird where we're going. Mm-hmm. But off camera, you shared some interesting statistics with us. And I want to share some of those things as well. Mm-hmm. Right now, the population of Angola is, let's say what? Let's be modest. I am estimating eleven twelve thousand eleven twelve thousand 12,000. 12,000 people. Mm-hmm. Geneva, Angola is bigger than Tatola, right, in square miles. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tatola is twenty-one square miles. The BDI, yeah, Tatola, because, Tartola, because Tartola. then you have you yeah. have a
1: number of different. Islands.
2: But in twenty-one square? How big is Angola? Thirty-five. Thirty-five square miles. In twenty-one square miles, Tatola has thirty thousand people. Mm-hmm. Angola has eleven thousand. Let's be miles. Mm-hmm. Well, the census will tell us. The census will tell us. We can have, have those those folks okay. come as well. TCI, 38,000 people. Mm -hmm. Bermuda, 63,000 people. Mm -hmm. French and Dutch and Martin, just across the water, 73,000 people. Mm -hmm. Cayman, 65,000 people. We watch these economies, we watch these islands, we compare ourselves to them. We even compare ourselves to Senkits. We compare ourselves to this person and that person, but these islands have the population to support their activities, to support their tax structure, to grow their economies. Mm-hmm. Now, let's get to the matter at hand. And you know, some of
0: these territories, they force you to break your stay. So you cannot even use a work permit as a means of getting um, status to some of these islands.
2: What do you mean they force you to break stay? <laughs> so in other words... <laughs>
0: In Angola, at the end of the day, you can renew your permit. Then some of these territories, you have to leave. Leave?
2: Go where? Leave. Leave. <laughs> you guys said it so crap. <laughs> so,
0: again, I, I, I speak to it because of
1: my connections there and, mm. and, and knowing and following a lot of what is happening. Mm. In the Virgin Islands, BVI, the Constitution states that you can achieve belongership status after ten years. Mm. However, the government put in place a policy that says that you can't apply before twenty years. Say what? (laughs) And so that is that is now a matter of review because you know they had the commission of inquiry Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. those were things that they looked at. Mm -hmm. Is it Bermuda? I know that Bermuda also have a very special circumstance and the, the length of time you have to stay mm-hmm. in Bermuda before you can be considered for for belongership status or whatever mm-hmm. terminology they use there. My question and and this is the true out there. My question is this. We spoke a little bit about the people that live with us and among us. Mm-hmm. Who are our Caribbean nationals, whether from uh, persons from even outside of the region? Mm -hmm. Do we isolate them by doing that very same thing in terms of putting them, asking them to leave at the end and breaking their work permits? Are we asking them to be isolated? What is it that we are as a country, as a nation? What is it that we are hopeful to achieve? And are our policies in line with that? So if we are hopeful to achieve
0: population growth, uh-huh. then would we really want to be sending persons out? Well, the permit permitting Anguilla is a means to, to get to get belonging because after 10 years, you get permanent residence. Two years, you get naturalized. Uh-huh. Okay? But bear in mind, in some of these other territories, we have larger populations. They are actually trying to put measures in place to curb the growth as well. You see... So we can't compare Angola to somebody... And I'm not going to be specific in terms of names, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, in Angola, with our population of, let me say, 11, 12, the fact is that um, a person after 10, 12 years can get their rights, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and to me, each one begins to slowly add up. But to me, that is not a very sustainable way of growing a population no. either, mm-hmm. right? So I would like... To, I would like to put in place policies that actually, after five or six years, perhaps, if the mother wants to invest and buy a piece of land and build a house, why can't we put in place a policy that gets them there a little quicker? Maybe we could start by <coughs> um, not charging them the alien holding fees so they can own their house and their land, even if they have to wait till 10 years to get the other part of it. So there's all kinds of scenarios that we are discussing and looking at as we move along. But again, I am passionate about some mechanism that will see our numbers grow substantial in this country. Not overnight, but in a more structured way. Mm-hmm. But we need our numbers to get uh, up. Go ahead.
1: I have a question, you know, because you, you spoke just now about the different mechanisms... How much of that can we, as an island, control? Given our status as a bot, mm-hmm. oh. because I I know that is a major part of the conversation mm-hmm. when we think about, belongership <laughs> yeah, status. It citizen, it, it how, how what is that relationship like in terms of the input from the UK as it relates to any kind of movement on that front. Right.
0: So, the process for permanent residence and belonging, the governor has a hand, the British would have a hand in that, right? At the end of the day, so for permanent residence, we take the applications to executive council, we present them, but at the end of the day, the government, her discretion, um, can review and decide whether or not um, this person gets it or, get, or doesn't get it. Bear in mind, she operates within the ambits of, because we have a policy, very clear policy that speaks to how one becomes eligible. Uh-huh. right? But to answer your question directly, Gleniva, there's a perception that when the person gets their rights and their passport, they pack their bags and they head off to the UK. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh-huh. So there is that perception as well.
1: Is that perception grounded in reality?
0: Some of it is true. Right, some of it is true. My feeling is if persons are going to invest in house and land, uh-huh. they're not going to really open up and just disappear from any good and head off to the UK either. So there is some method, some methodology to our thinking in terms of that. But again, it's something that we have to walk through, we have to look at the policy, we have to look at the implications and there's discussion going on. Yes, our status as, a, as overseas territory will impact in some way on that. But I don't leave those things to tell me. I always believe that there's opportunities for discussion, for negotiation. I think there are opportunities for creating policy that allow us some leeway to get where we want to go as we move along.
2: So, so let me ask a question. All that we've been speaking about over the past episode and even now, these changes, how do these factor into any updates, changes to the Labor Relations Act and legislation that would govern people's ability to work on a living, become Anguillians? Right.
0: So you just so right now uh-huh. <clears throat> we have just been meeting over the past couple of months <clears throat> with the chambers, and we are now working on a labor relations amendment bill 2022, uh-huh. and we are looking at some issues such as layoffs, service charge, leave changes in terms and conditions of employment and overtime pay. And you know the interesting thing about leave, the COVID pandemic really brought home to us the situation with leave is concerned because workers have sick leave. They have a certain number of days per year for sick leave. They have holidays. But what COVID brought was periods of forced quarantine. Uh Uh Sometimes five days, ten ten days, days. Uh maybe even more, Uh right? And so you found that workers' sick sick day allocations were being eaten up in quarantine. Uh Holidays Uh were being eaten up in quarantine leave.
2: Uh So we are
0: addressing that in terms of some changes. It's
2: interesting that you would say that because I saw an article... That even talked, uh, 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 referenced the fact that insurance companies know they never really considered pandemics. Mm-hmm. in a lot of their policies mm-hmm. and now they're revisiting that. Like, is that is that something that you're going to touch on to make sure it is hinged to that? Because it's okay for labor to have a policy on this, but a lot of these business places, some of them offer insurance to their employees mm-hmm. and those things are impacted on as well. In the consultations with labor, would, would those support services um, like insurance and those benefit-driven services, social be in the security, social security. Yeah. would those be in the conversation as well? Yes.
0: So for right now, we have sent this out to the HTA. Uh-huh. We've sent it out to the Chamber of Commerce, uh-huh. the um, Bar Association, the Financial Services Commission. So we're asking them for feedback. And once we get that feedback, if they have, if we need to make any further changes to the amendment bill, then we're going to take it out to the public consultation. So we're going to come on the radio programs, we're going to have public consultations so the public themselves can feed into this. before we do And do how soon would
2: you want to see some mobilization on the things proposed here? Well, actually,
0: we've set a very ambitious schedule. We have asked these different bodies to come back to us, I think, by the 19th of September. Okay. And thereafter, um, if there are any substantial changes... We take it to Exco, uh-huh. and then we, we go to public consultation before we go to the house. So I am really <clears throat> looking at this in place before the end of the year.
2: Okay, and it obviously would have some impact on one of the major one of the major industry well the major industry mm-hmm. which is our tourism industry yeah. because those things I know we have a lot of the issues that you're speaking about mm-hmm. in 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 that arena. Yeah. Um. Go to the house in 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 November before budget passed in the house. The next step would be what for this to get some teeth.
0: Once it is passed into law, it becomes
2: law. Okay. It becomes as the governor
0: assents to it, it becomes law.
2: Okay. I just wanted our listeners to yes. understand that we could possibly see some changes to our labor relations act by the end of the year.
0: By the end of the year, that is the intention. Okay. Um, persons don't realize that. Bills go to the House. They have the one, two, three readings. They have committee stage. And during committee stage, we can make an amendment that we see to, to the bill. But once that final reading takes place and is assented to by the House, it goes to the governor for signature. That's and all. and that's, that's law. Yeah, yeah that's, that is law. Mm.
1: Yeah. Any changes must go back so, to that same process. So I'm not
0: going to delve into great detail as to what are these, because again, um, like I said, we'll you know, we be in the consultation, but... Certainly, it, it really, even the issue of service charge has been an issue.
2: Yeah, what? Well, what has been an issue?
1: <clears throat> so, so just again, give us a, before we even get mm-hmm. to a, right. a recap of some of the major things that the, I know you gave some broad headings. Right. So service so charge.
0: The service charge, <clears throat> the act provides for the distribution of service charge in section 76. So, this section has been revised to make it clearer who service charge belongs to, oh. and they provide better guidance as to the administration of service functions. The oh. service charge committee now would be increased from four to five persons and is now applicable to businesses that have seven employees instead of five. So, the committee has a more clearly defined rule and provides some protection for committee members to allow them to better carry out their functions. Service charge has been an issue in much of the sector for quite some time. People, employees, sometimes complain that their bosses sometimes dip heavily into the service charge to the detriment of employees. So through this, we are seeking to put some regularity, some uniformity to it in terms of how it is administered to ensure that the workers themselves are at worst late
2: <laughs> because
0: workers <laughs> workers will tell you that they benefit more from service charge than mm-hmm. they benefit from the, regulars, the regular mm-hmm. uh, go ahead bro <laughs> <then. laughs>
1: so it's it's very interesting because i know You know, in the previous Labor Relations Act, it speaks service charge in any legislation as it relates to service charge, speaks to the administration of service charge. Mm -hmm. But correct me if I'm wrong, there is no legislation that stipulates... That you can charge service charge. That service charge is... It is necessary. Yeah. If the, I, I say that to say there are places that don't charge service charge. Right. Mm-hmm. Because service charge isn't enacted by law. Yep. The administration of service charge is mm-hmm. enacted by law. That's But what I mean. not service charge. So, and a lot of times, yeah. <laughs> and I'll say this, I think we... Confuse and Conflate the issue mm-hmm. Service charge Really is a tip mm-hmm. That's all it is Service charge Is a tip And I that think they tell you How much to pay Yes <laughs> So it's a set Tip
2: uh, That is
1: already Included On your bill uh, No, And this is going to Tie into the minimum wage mm-hmm. Because we don't Have a minimum wage There are persons Who rely Heavily On service that side. Service uh, charge mm-hmm. Slash Tip mm-hmm. If there was a minimum wage, I think we can be looking at better Mm working, a fairer compensation for -hmm. the working persons relying less on said service charge. And and the reason I say that is because there's a certain perception that persons are expected to still leave a tip on top of the service charge. Mm -hmm. So you want a tip on top of a tip. Mm -hmm. And that we don't quite get that the service charge is, in fact, a tip we have somehow joined two different things so not quite in the US there's no service charge in the US there's a tip Mm
2: -hmm.
1: in Europe for example there is service charge already built in Mm -hmm. in Anguilla we have combined the two (laughs) (laughs) and we somehow uh, somehow still Mm -hmm. don't get that it is you know, if persons want to leave a little extra on top of the fifteen percent, fine.
2: Well, but some I places think fifteen. Some places is I, seventeen. Some places twelve. Could I could I just go
0: to the labour legislation? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, that's the Labour Relations Act Twenty Eighteen, Section Seventy Six, oh. which speaks about distribution of service charge, seventy six one, in an establishment in which a customer pays a service charge the employer shall pool the service charge and distribute it among his employees every four weeks in accordance with this section. Two, where the establishment has at least five employees, the employer shall establish a service charge committee for the periodic distribution of the service charge. Three, the committee shall consist of four representatives as follows, two persons appointed by the employer to represent the employer, and two persons representing the employees to be elected by the employees. And How it goes many on. places that happen, though? Well, this is the thing. The 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 amendment, I think, speaks now to... Um,
2: seven persons instead of five. Yeah, increased from, increase no, from
0: four, four to five, to five oh. right? And it's now applicable to businesses that have seven employees instead of five. So, again, I think the amendment would bring some further clarity to the whole issue of service charge. And I mean, they, I'd encourage people, this is an essential piece of literature for every worker. And I encourage them, it's, it's on the government's website, under the, um, the um, labor department. And I would encourage persons to have this. Because this really is the, the Bible or the guide to your workplace. This sets out everything, how things operate. And it's an essential part of your mm. arsenal of documents.
1: <laughs> so, so we know, we know the Bible, the guide, the uh, everything. And we know once it is passed in the House of Assembly, Islam. it is law. But we have a lot of laws. Mm-hmm. How is it enforced? How do we ensure that the laws that are there are enforced? Who is responsible? For enforcing these bits of the legislation once passed,
0: right. So, in terms of the labor relations act, it would be the labor department. We're gonna get them on because okay. <laughs> we have some questions. Right. <laughs> immigration act, immigration department. Yes.
2: So, B- before before we before we go any any gonna be a tough question, Minister. Mm-hmm. Do you think the labor department is adequately staffed? No, it isn't. I,
1: I, I'm glad you said that because that is what I was thinking is what's going through my mind you're telling me that this <laughs> hefty piece of legislation that's there in addition to all the other functions and things that we spoke about that they're expected to police and to enforce mm-hmm. and to to carry out all the other functions yeah, with the absence of unions
2: I might add like from the <laughs> <As> yes <members. laughs>
0: but don't get me wrong they perform a task that they could benefit from additional staff, Uh but given their limited circumstances, they still perform. Again, this year I'm going to press put in my plea for
2: additional stuff yeah budget time coming up budget time so I'll tell up. you what happens on this show believe it or not <laughs> <laughs> if you look this right there this does not apply to the ministers Ivan it applies to me
1: Sorry, no I have the, Ivan it applies it. to everybody else but not the minister. not the ministers what you
2: want the premier listens to the show Just say what you want <laughs> You tend yeah. to get what you want. Yeah. For instance, Dr. <laughs> Fumike Banks, definitely have a building come in. Um, there's going to be a, a co-ed um, juvenile center coming. all these things have been putting the atmosphere here it looks serious yeah. the minister came here and talked about a road the valley road got it came here and talked about the boy fight, uh, fair terminal got it the minister oh, came please. here and yeah go ahead look at it his... I,
0: have...
2: <laughs> I, I should have bought my business. <laughs> but,
0: but but I mean we are constrained by, by, by financial resources that, uh-huh. But, but I will say um, that, yes, in the policing of it, we could benefit from a few more workers, mm-hmm. and we're going to press very vigorously for them this year again. Let's hope we get at least one or two more. But at the end of the day, I think the workers at the department, they do a yeoman's job. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have, between the months of March and April and then in August, we would have undertaken a series of site visits to the various properties. And I was accompanied by staff from there. And I mean we we went around and we visited the, the properties and it was a good it was a good trip. You okay. know, it was a good maybe if you get time I could speak a little bit about that. But again at the end of the day, civil servants always achieve much with little. Mm-hmm. And as a former civil servant myself. I- I know too well what I that's mean.
2: that's I, I'm not I'm not being blasphemous, but that's some mm-hmm. stuff that the church teaches that I don't really subscribe to. Okay. We used to sing that song "Little Is Much When God Is In It." I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree, but we can't take that approach because that's <laughs> how you get burned out. That's mm-hmm. how things slip through the cracks. And in all honesty, there are some things that have to be addressed with the absence of unions that I think that labor needs some people. So you have to look in the camera and say what you want. Hint, hint. <laughs>
1: Yes. <laughs> you see you see, in this case and this is why I said this does not apply to the minister because and the ministers and I'll tell you what my dad always say when you point a finger that way you got four. Four pointed back, back at, at you, you.
2: <laughs> well, so you were the reason <laughs> okay so minister it needs, it needs some people uh, so let me ask you now and, we, and we're gonna go right into this talking about we talked about the establishment of minimum wage. We talked about an understudy program. I would envision that the understudy program is now added work, more things to police, that falls on labor. Right? Give us some details about this understudy program. Because I worked right. in the industry, and I'll give you a joke about the understudy program. The understudy for my, um, my boss, I worked in marketing. The understudy for my boss... Was a sommelier.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That that makes sense to you.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 So married wines, yeah.
2: It may yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's not in marketing, and sales. Mm-hmm. But the understudy was the sommelier to my boss.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And in in the previous episode, you touched on this thing that you know they would just submit a name. Mm-hmm. I'm not calling out any establishment, but. Does the program now fix that type of stuff? It does. Okay, so you're telling me now labor will go check this person's credentials. Do they have to submit a resume, a current job everything. description, everything with this? Everything. But so now, tell some us.
0: organizational chart, so we want to make sure that when you say you want um, a, a manager for beverages, that is a position on your organizational chart. Mm. Because mm. Uh, cause we have had situations in the past where... We get work permit applications, but then there was no correlation between the application and what was actually happening on the ground at the establishment. Mm. So, in other words, every every business, whether it is a hotel or a large corporation, whatever it is, must have some level of an organizational chart that lays out the structure, who reports to who, the duties, and everything of each role along the way. And ideally, we'd like to see as many ingredients in those positions as possible, but we realize the constraints. But if we have to consider a work permit, we want to ensure that that application fits within the organizational chart of
2: the business. Do these work permits generally last a year?
0: Right now, a year is the longest that we can grant a work permit for. We have recently in EXCO approved multi-year permits
2: for two years.
0: That's in the financial services mm-hmm. industry. Which means that we can grant a work permit for up to two years. And there have been calls for us to even think of three years. But while the law can provide for multi year permits, we would always control which which sectors through regulation. Okay. okay. Because obviously, we want to protect our Angolan workers. Right? So, so we've come up with this document, and it is an internal document. Mm -hmm. I want to make that very clear. As you can see in red, it says... Not Not for
2: external distribution for departmental use only. Right. (laughs) Was I allowed to read that red part? Yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs)
0: Because this is not something that we're going to put in the public domain. This is something that's going to guide the department. Right. Someone asked me the other day, where is it grounded in legislation? So the, the the program has been developed in line with the Labour Relations Act 2018, section 171, where it says where an employer has been granted work permits for a professional, managerial or skilled occupation, the minister may impose the following conditions and restrictions: a, that the employer develop and submit an employee training program or an employee under study program. Which is satisfactory to the ministry, but any understudy program applies only to belongers of Anguilla. I want to stress that point only to belongers of Anguilla. You cannot be on a, on a work permit and be mm-hmm. an understudy. Interesting. Okay. Yeah? Okay. And continue in considering whether to grant a prospective employer a work permit, the minister shall consider whether the employer has. Com- Applied with any other legal and policy obligations, and then I mentioned in my radio um, interviews that this policy was also developed in conjunction with the ILO. They would have provided us with a lot of technical assistance.
2: ILO is
0: the International Labour Organization, okay. and there were a number of recommend a number of recommendations which I just want to highlight quickly for the benefit of. Um, You're listening public, you're viewing public. So, the Human Resources Development Recommendations 2004, number 195, paragraph 4B members should recognize that the realization of lifelong learning should be based on the explicit commitment by governments by investing and creating the conditions to enhance education and training at all levels by enterprises in training their employees and by individuals in developing <clears throat> their competencies and careers. And paragraph 5b, members should develop supportive social and other policies and create an economic environment and incentives to encourage enterprises to invest in education and training, individuals to develop their competences and careers, and to enable and motivate all to participate in education and training programs. And the interesting paragraph, paragraph 9-1, members should call upon multinational enterprises to provide training for all levels of the employees in home and host countries to meet the needs of the enterprises and to contribute to the development of the country. So you see, this document is well-grounded in law from Angola and as well as from the
2: international labor
0: organization
2: Go ahead, anyway, because I got something to ask too. I think <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, ask what I'm going to ask. I'm,
1: I'm listening to this. And we spoke, you know, pre well, the episode before this mm-hmm. with the Minister of Education. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot of education. But the understudy program takes into consideration someone who is already in the workforce, correct?
0: Not necessarily, it could be someone coming into the workforce
1: good so that is that is kind of what i wanted to know what what connections and what linkages exist between the ministry of labor or uh, the department of labor and the ministry or uh, department of education to ensure that our students mm-hmm. are adequately right. prepared what is out there in our labor force and so that they are adequately educated to meet the needs of our labor force, one. And then, so you have it going that way and then you have it the next way in that based on the line of study of our students, how are we ensuring that there is work
2: for them? Let me add one more thing to that. (laughs) How are we ensuring that when an Anguillian successfully comes up to a position of management in, through this, um, this manner, that another Anguillian is being the understudy as well, because what's to say, I I I like don't want it to be a case like the government, where the permanent secretary is, no disrespect to yeah, them, there okay. for 30, 40 years, and then you can't do nothing about it. But What's the succession, succession planning? planning. Yeah. Like,
0: that's it. All right. So let me deal with your part of it first. So we have the school, as you said, so they are subject start at the comprehensive school uh-huh. in terms of hospitality. So they are subject start. And then we have the community college, uh-huh. and they have courses uh-huh. in bartending and other aspects of hotel management as well. Uh-huh. We have the University of the West Indies um, open, open campus as uh-huh. well. We have online learning, Uh so there are a range of avenues that are open for workers to equip themselves, to get themselves further trained, okay? One of the things that I have pledged to do is to have discussions with not only the chief education officer, but the community college and the university, the open um, campus, to see if in addition to what they currently offer, if they can now begin to perhaps tailor specific programs based on what we are finding as we apply this program across the sector, because we are going to find that there are going to be perhaps specific needs mm-hmm. and that is going to arise, that we can see programs being developed to meet those needs.
2: So so let me ask something that I... Oh, sorry, yeah. I
1: wanted to go one step further. Mm-hmm. Whose responsibility, based on what we're seeing here in in our understudy program, whose responsibility is it to ensure that that training happens? Whose financial responsibility is it to ensure that that training happens? And I'm getting to that because I'm speaking now scholarships and the opportunities for further education.
0: Really good question. And I I tend to answer this on one of the previous video interviews I would have done. But I want to be very candid and say there's an onus on the employer to create the atmosphere through the learning, mentorship, apprenticeship, formal courses, um, attachments, whatever is going to be required. And there will be a, 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 a process of identifying what are the specific needs to each of these and understudies.
2: So, so, right? so not, not to cut you off, I want people to understand that this understudy program is not set aside for the tourism industry alone. No, it's across the business sector. It's across the business sector.
1: But it is for managerial positions. Is that... Yes. And not entry-level positions.
2: Right. So, for example, um, we
0: grant a work permit to a barber. Oh. We are not going to jump on that barber's case to say he has appointed on the study, these would be more for the upper level positions. We have caretakers, we have um, cleaners, housemates, yoga, instructor. yoga instructors, mm-hmm. and so forth. Right? But this understudy program is really going to be talking on the targeting the higher level... HR managers.
1: Yes. But
2: that's something that I Accounting recently.
0: managers, compliance so managers. recently. But you know, HR managers not cutting you off. We insist and we hold fast to that that HR managers have to be angriolians. Yeah,
2: that was something I learned recently. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. They yeah, have to be We, we don't, um, don't scandal. And that, that
2: was something that, that yeah. recently came about.
0: Yeah, and we will find that most of the properties now, we do have ambulance. in Is that species.
1: across the board for all sectors?
0: It's across the board for all sectors. It may not be in place for all sectors at this point in time. But again, where we don't have an agreement in place, this understudy program will ensure that someone is put in place across these sectors. But I was, um, I was answering where yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to miss a point. Uh-huh. In fact, when people asking about who pays for this. Uh-huh. So, right, so there's an onus on the employer to put the necessary mechanisms in place, which would incur some expense. Okay. But I mean, very clear before and I want to be very clear now uh-huh. that the employees themselves uh-huh. have to take an active interest in their own development. True. Okay? True. Uh-huh. Because I will say candidate to people, anybody,
2: uh-huh.
0: if you are going to be an understudy to learn how to put a cork in a bottle, you should be looking at move into the next stage of packing the bottles of labeling the case i that just been simplistic so in other words the employee does not limit themselves to, to a level right so it, so and obviously the employee has to play a part in this perhaps financially too maybe they never considered it but they may want to take some additional courses at the community college or at the UE center they want to take an online course. Because at the end of the day, I want to um, impress upon Anguillians that while an certain program may be keeping you to take up a particular post, who is to tell you that you should not be taking the next two or three
2: or four or five steps upwards? Okay. So so what, what I want to ask... Um, are we saying that the understudy program speaks to the, the, the development of the competencies or is it solely based on time? Because I don't want a person to feel like, oh, they have to wait four years to become no, a manager. No, 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 no. If they develop the competencies, then that person needs to to give way to that anguillium. Right. So if I may... We got some time, right?
0: Yes, we have. So if I may speak to... There are four stages that can be applied. Uh-huh. stage one is a single the entry level employee employees who are new to the job who have no qualifications or experience and who need to develop skills appropriate to their responsibilities uh-huh. you say that may take four to seven years
2: well who's I, I you know I like loopholes eh?
0: Uh-huh.
2: I should have studied a lot who is to say that the the establishment ain't gonna look at those when they have somebody come back and probably could be in that position in two years, but they want to stay four to seven years, so they're going to choose that option. So that person. No, 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 mm-hmm.
0: because there's communication, there's discussion, there's feedback. There's documents to be produced. So this, so re- let me go to the four stages, then we have the mm-hmm. discussion. So then stage two, you have entry-level employees who are new to the job, who may have had formal qualifications, but no experience in a work environment. Okay. You see there's mm-hmm. a difference? They may take three to four years. uh mm-hmm. Then you may have stage three, along serving employees who have no formal qualifications but who have worked in the organization industry for several years or seasons Mm -hmm. and have acquired a certain level of skill in performing their duties. They may have done short courses or provided evidence of having carried out individual research on their functions. They are familiar with the organization's branding, policies, mission, vision, and core values, they are competent in their duties and show willingness to continue learning and developing. They may take two to three years.
2: Again, okay, Minister. That's, and so, that's one more. Okay, go ahead with the other one. Stage I, I four. Ain't gonna forget, forget Formerly
0: qualified and competent employees who have worked in an organization for several years, seasons, and who are familiar with the responsibilities of their position and with the organization's branding policies, mission, vision, and core values. These include persons who may have undergone a formal apprenticeship program, acquired specialized training through a structured TVET curriculum, or via TVET's prior learning assessment recognition program, maybe one to two years. So I'm saying when we are now looking at the understudy, he may fall into one of these four categories. Uh-huh. So we don't have the employer saying, you know, he's at stage one. There has to be a formal mechanism of identifying just where this employee is. So who's who's
2: going to provide this information? Who's going to keep these files? Who's going to police things? I have another question. Don't go. Don't I want go you away. to
1: ask the same question that you asked the first time because I think it is still relevant. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to use. You can keep your questions, mm. but I can use a, a, a scenario. Okay, I'll good. We, maybe maybe see, that might help. See, see if we're driving home. Mm-hmm. Company A has applied for a walk permit for John
2: Doe. No, John, John Smith. John
1: <laughs> <laughs> Right? They then identify Mary Jean mm. as. as the understudy person. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mary Jane is at stage one. Mm -hmm. But when you look around the organization, Yes,
0: maybe somebody in stage three.
1: There is somebody in stage three, but they have identified Mary Jane over... Sally Jones.
0: Sally Jones. That used to be the old way. Now we are talking communication. Uh Right? We're talking documentation. Uh So in other words, you as an employer, not going to um, select somebody at stage one because you're saying to yourself, Uh in three to four years, Uh maybe I can get rid of that person and get somebody Uh else's support. No, 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 no. I I can safely say here, candidly, since I have been Minister of Labor, Uh the Department of Labor... Has been very forthright, they have been very searching, they have been very um, efficient in pointing out to me in particular where they see these instances occurring. Where employers basically try to cheat the system.
2: And what do you do in those instances?
0: They have the risk, if they don't provide the adequate information, they have the risk of getting those workers miserable.
2: So let me ask you another question. What's to the stop them? Because I still think they're going to do that. They're gonna. Go, they're gonna try. They're gonna try. Mm-hmm. What's to stop them from saying, "Hey, Bob Franklin, only get two years"? Oh, wow! We have to bring in John Frankenstein. I know they're on the study start. program starts all over again because John Frankenstein brings a, a different level of skills and he's gonna no he has to show yeah. you some things because all these companies oh we're tra- we're transforming or our brand is growing they roll out these things and then these the way this stuff is listed is like okay they have to have these competencies but everybody's learning on the job I just want to make sure that the clock doesn't start over and no. over again
0: no
2: you understand no. what I'm saying I, because because the policy speaks to penalties as
0: well Okay. So if we, are, if we recognize that that is happening, because remember, the person that has a work permit is in somewhat of a mentorship role. You know? right. mm-hmm. Remember, that person is now mentoring and training the understudy. So if that person in the work permit is going to play the fool or fool around or not do what he's supposed to do as according to the training plan and everything that has been set out, that person could well find themselves losing that permit.
2: And what are the penalties for the establishment that would encourage that type of behavior because they'll just bring in somebody else? No,
0: it doesn't work like that because every work permit goes through a process, Okay. a process of application, a process of discussion. So if, if you as an employer is engaging in that kind of behavior, it, come, it, it really makes it difficult for you as an employer, to get work permits signed on behalf of the organization. And I make no bones about it. I have had these many difficult discussions and decisions to make since I have been there, and I'm, I would dare say previous ministers have also had the, the same sorts of issues. Because so you've got to draw a line somewhere, Ivan.
2: I understand. Go ahead, Ivan
1: we're gonna switch roles uh-huh. usually it's Evan playing devil's advocate <laughs> <laughs> I'm too pretty for that but <laughs> today I'm going to be that petty <laughs> let's 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 reverse this, this conversation a little bit and I I will say this is something that in another hat and role that I wear that it was a discussion I was had you have an understudy program and I can fully appreciate the need for it but you have an organization, we're going to go back to the same. You have organization A, who have applied for a uh, work permit for... John Cena. John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> and the organization has identified Mary Jane uh-huh. as the understudy. Mary Jane is at stage four.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you also have Sally Jones, Jones and John Smith who are also at stage four. Mm -hmm. Mary Jane knows that she is the understudy Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and she becomes complacent because she feels entitled. More so, you now have Sally Jones and John Smith who feel demotivated Mm -hmm. knowing that we're all on the very same level, Mm -hmm. but Mary Jane is going to be moving up and not me. How do you combat some
2: of that? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> this is progress report. and conversations.
0: That's a really good question. i would answer it like this. I tell people that education opens doors. Mm-hmm. It creates opportunities. Right? And in any organization, people should always be hungry to progress. Mm-hmm. Okay. A member of staff who is complacent and just wasting time is of no value to that organization, okay? okay? An employee who, who, who goes the extra mile, undertakes the, the, more than the necessary training, I can see that person moving ahead. So in the case where you have two or three people that are in the same bracket, essentially, the question is, of those three, who is the hungriest of those three? to move forward So of those three who is a person that takes the most engages in the most um, they, 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 they um, sort of portray the, the hunger the, the ability the, the desire because let's face it huh? part of the process also has to involve looking at your pool of, 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 of workers. You can't look at them simply from the fact that they may fit into the category. I also look at the fact that this person, okay, maybe even could be in stage two, but this person in stage two, if I give them the training necessary to bring them up, they could be a more valuable fit to my organization, even the person who is complacent in stage four. So this is where the discussion comes in between the employer and the labor department.
2: Not just the employer, but specifically the human resource manager. Human resource manager, yes. The The HR, because the HR
0: in each organization will be the ones looking at a human talent and and Mm -hmm. so forth. Right? So this is where the discussion comes in. So it doesn't mean because you are in stage four that you automatically... It could be that there's somebody in stage three or stage two that recently came into the organization but have the skills and the, the qualities and the abilities that you can see benefiting your organization over the many years as opposed to somebody who's been there for so many years and complacent, demoralized, whatever you want to call it. So it's, 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 at the end of the day, I, I, I see the mechanism, the discussion, the, the evaluation of person's abilities, as being a key role in identifying the understudy, not necessarily whether you were there one year, two years, 10 years, or 15 years. Okay. Because I will tell you, I've worked as a manager in the public service for many years, and I have seen staff who have been there marking time. They show up to work because they gotta show up, they do what they got to do, and I've seen others who come and go the extra mile, they take pride, they, they talk, they, you understand what I'm saying? They yeah, you can fire the public service. <laughs> 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 All right, man, we're not going down that road. That was just <laughs> No,
1: you're getting me going down roads. But my my question is though, I understand in identifying that person, but it's more so once it's identified. Mm-hmm. My question is, can that person be changed out once identified?
2: Mm-hmm. Because
1: because nice. the complacency may happen after, the, after the field my bread done buttered
0: no but then <clears throat> you still have to go through a process of evaluation they have there will okay. be regular checks okay. what'
2: are making these checks between the labor department and the employer okay so let me ask you another question can the understudy program have more than one person in a particular role yes, can it the can. GM have okay yes it can okay. and that's, that's, that's yes. yes it can
0: okay. because to me Depends even on the role that you're looking at. There may be several possibilities, and and one could always have two or three people, and you basically have to pick the best of the lot at the end. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that.
1: I, I think that kind of um, setup would eliminate the mm-hmm. scenario that,
2: that I, I I brought yeah. up. There. Yeah. Well, what what are some of the other key highlights to this understudy program? Yeah. We, we've gone past the selection in, in making right. sure it's fair and equitable. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to have some protection against nepotism. Yes. And, and it seems to focus on the angular interest. But what else is there? What, ca- what, what, right. what sets this apart from what was there before that I just learned today?
0: So we have spoken about edit, identifying the understudy. We spoke a bit about that. We spoke uh-huh. about the um, appointment of the understudy. Uh-huh. So let's talk a bit about the obligations to the Department of Labor. So each business that employs foreign nationals in management supervisory, professional, or technical top-level positions, and who have staff in an understudy role is expected to provide the Department of Labor with the following information. One, the name of the staff member who is understudying the position, or the names of employees who qualify to be understudies, Uh if that person Uh is not yet known, the name of the understudy within three months, of the foreign national having been appointed in the position. So once we give the war permit to the foreign national, we must have that understudy identified within three months. If a suitable understudy has not been identified in that period, then prior to the expiration of the three months, the business is required to inform the Department of Labor of all challenges that they're experiencing in determining who should be appointed in the understudy position. I have a and question. That is, is, is reasonable
2: Go ahead. And I, I need it to be clear. This understudy program is not about a person; It's about a role and function.
0: Yeah. A role function. Okay. It is us supporting the business to ensure that it meets its objectives mm-hmm. because there are financial components to this. There is productivity um, aspects to this. Mm-hmm. So we are there assisting the organization. I have
1: one more question before yeah. you go
0: forward.
1: Mm-hmm. I know that this particular document and labor relations in particular, it deals with the private sector.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is there some sort of correlating policy for the public sector
0: and their General statutory orders. bodies?
1: And the
2: statutory bodies. Statutory bodies.
0: The statutory bodies would more or less fall under um, the government um, I know in some cases, some of them have their own um, what they call handbooks. Oh. Mm-hmm. So Aspo, I know, Anglic, um, Health Authority will have what they call handbooks, which is essentially um, sort of their version of of, of, of general orders Yeah. So, so so this is there
1: is something that correlates this understudy program and that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is there a correlating um, program
0: mm-hmm.
1: under better general orders are those handbooks that govern the statutory bodies.
0: Right. So and <laughs> that's that's an interesting question. Um <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: the, the, you, because you know the scenarios you know that they, they, they exist so I, I want to ensure that we are looking at this
2: holistically
1: and yes. not simply what is happening
0: in a particular mm-hmm. sector mm-hmm. a particular sector Yes, I agree but I will say as well though that um these organizations will have their HR departments, and so certainly, if there's an issue that cannot be solved at the level of the HR of the particular um, body, then that person can come to the labor department um, to to take up the matter further. Yes.
2: Okay. So let me let me just kind of. This this,
0: this wouldn't really qualify for for government for. I guess
2: this is why we're going to have the deputy governor uh, yeah. and probably yes. somebody yeah. from
1: public yeah. admin. Yeah. You, know, you know how we do this. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We let conversations roll yeah. and we pick them up All because right. it's yeah. it's it's a continuum. and it, it, it shows the different linkages that exist within government and mm-hmm. how, how everything operates
0: as a whole. But you know, and why we were not at time, but you know, in my previous life, I was preparing a transformation program for the public service, mm-hmm. and one of the things that we were working on was modernizing general orders. Even the oh. term
2: general orders a little archaic, yeah, it was about to say, but I, I tend to mind my business. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> archaic. So
0: we are we were looking back then at a
2: modern, <laughs> at modern, <laughs> modern, modern um, uh, a modern system. There, 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 there needs to be so much of what's transient or uh, uh, transitional rather in the private sector over like so you know I spent a lot of my time in, in the private sector and then I, as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and when I when I um, accepted the role as public relations officer there were some things that was just like you know it was for me like mm-hmm. no it needs to be done just do it like mm-hmm. that's what it is but they're like no and I have an appreciation for some of that wait time. But my goodness gracious, man. Cheese <laughs> on a hill. Like, why do certain things take so long to do where government is concerned? And that's not something that I'm accustomed to. And if we want to see the efficiencies all around, I think Gleniva is alluding to some of this. <laughs> it's not just government as in, in those that are public servants, but for crying out loud, some of the... Statutory bodies you, you can't get them Dude. To move an eyelash but
1: if I, 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 I didn't I wasn't getting At any information. I'm, I'm
2: not getting I, At the employees But, I, but either, what but I, but I wanted to, What I
1: wanted to do Was to ensure That while we are Looking out For Persons in the private
2: sector... We are looking out for persons in the public sector, too. ...that Mm
1: -hmm. you have the same that looks out for persons in the public sector and that they're not overlooked simply because they are in the public sector. And like you said, I know this isn't um, under your remit, um, and we will Mm -hmm. have those and continue to have these discussions. And and Minister, I, I just want to say as we run out of time, how is it that we had two full episodes... And we've still run out of time. And, and now still haven't
0: touched a lot of what I brought here So guess what?
1: As with everyone else, there's always an open invitation. And I, I want to say thank you for yes. being patient. Yes. We completed our entire season, season yes. with you being the only minister that had not come on. And so we felt it's important mm-hmm. to give you, not just to get you on, but to give you a two-episode special. <laughs> <so
2: honored>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you're the only minister to have gotten that is a two-episode two back-to-back
2: special. And to think we're not even done, we haven't it, touched everything. we just the
1: tip of the iceberg. So, because there's always so much to discuss yeah. and there's always so much to talk about. So again, I just want to really say thank you for coming on and having these discussions and conversations with us, yes. with the public, because... Mm-hmm. These conversations are with us, through us, for you. Yes. Mm And Ivan, I will turn over to you because this has been another great episode another of... Another
2: great episode of Progress Report. <laughs> we will be back with the minister. There are some things about the understudy program that I want to dive a little mm-hmm. further in. Um, I think Gleniva saved me tonight um, from touching <laughs> some things because they might have opened a few um, fishing toolbox. <laughs> we want to call it a can of worms. And it's not, not for bad things, but for simply like what she what she alluded to just now it, it's is something that I'm very passionate about. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want it to be the case where somebody is in a particular role forever. Stuck at that sort of level forever. There's I there's no that's not how Maslow's hierarchy of needs work. Um, and I think it's funny, I don't wanna quote Jay Z, but like this new track God did, his voice is like really really up there and it kind of like reframes what Mm self-actualization is um for me and i think a lot more people especially the young people we touched on it previous episode that's why they're leaving because they want more Mm -hmm. they want more and i don't know if you realize but a lot a lot of young people aren't necessarily coming into the public service Mm -hmm. as before I should say something. What are we doing to revolutionize and to make government an attractive employer? Which is yes. outside of your remit, we would have the deputy governor mm-hmm. here and probably the, P, the PS for public admin. But these are things that we're covered here that are important growing our population, minimum wage, making sure people can um, provide for themselves, but are above all else, given an opportunity. And I think that's, in a nutshell, what the understudy program does. I'm happy that it's not just for the lack of those of us who may have thought so. I'm not for the lack, poor choice of word. For those of us who may have thought so, it's not about the hotel industry. It's about all sectors. All sectors. Uh, Banking and finance. Yes. um, Should... Retail. Retail, like, you need to... to. We have
0: managers at at, at the the, the telecommunications companies as well. I mean... Whenever you look at it, we have people in what permit situations?
2: All right. So what I would want to see, Minister, is a lot more information, I guess. I just always give myself work to do on this show. Yeah. I would want to see a lot more come from from this, to break it down so people can understand. I would like to see a, a full campaign behind this that that not just put some more teeth to it, but some accountability. Yes. Because the one thing people are going to say that, that they don't know you have an avenue here in progress report. We yeah. have other avenues that we can do. But let's get the information out, especially before the yeah. start of the season. So I will tell you, what
0: though, for. give it a couple months with, when it gets in the operation uh-huh. so we have a chance to look back to see how it has functioned. Okay. Because I think that would provide a better feedback so I can actually tell you how it has been working within okay. the public. So for me, it was a tremendous pleasure being yes. here. I came here with some mixed expectations.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> I hope you exceeded those. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was two, It was a, a lovely hour and the previous program of conversation, uh-huh. thought-provoking, stimulating conversation. It forced me to think in ways I never thought before. Perfect. That's and what that is that is great. I came with a lot of documents that I wasn't even able to open. Yes. But like I said, we flowed. Yes. We, we, we flowed. And I look forward again to coming back not too distant in the future no, to no. share
2: for. Well, I can start putting my foot in my mouth because like I said before, it's actually a Eva's show. Yeah. I just go about trying to schedule all kind of people. say, no, Ivan, you're not doing that. You remember this person? And you remember what this person says. So she has her way of following up the conversation. Mm-hmm. And we will do that. But you'll be back soon. I can I can assure you you'll be back soon. There's a lot to talk about. Yes. Like I said, there's a lot happening in your ministry. And hopefully when you're back, we can get a little bite or two from the teeth that these programs yes. would have brought. definitely. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, that has been another wonderful episode of Progress Report. Continue to give us your feedback. Continue to make your suggestions about who you want to hear from on the show. It's just updates and conversations from the Government Information Service. Until next time, I'm your host, Ivan Connor, my lovely co-host, Gleniba Hodge. Our guest, the Honorable Minister of Home Affairs, this has been Progress Report. Blessings.